0: And thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 309, MacArthur, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Last time, due to indecision and bad luck, MacArthur's air arm was roughly cut in half. Surely the Japanese would be able to reach the Philippine shores now. The question was, what would happen then? Sadly, the answer was, again, not much, or not enough. Indeed, the weather held up the invaders as much as the general's forces and his aggressive defense plan. As the air battle on December 8th had gone as well as General Homa could have wished, his elements of the 14th Army were ordered to proceed with the invasion. But the tip of the spear, those who would go ashore first, were the troops of the 2nd Formosa Infantry Regiment of the 48th Division. With Apari on the Luzon north coast and Vigan on the northwest coast being the first targets, each location was to be the focus of a task force, and each force had one and a half battalions, say 2,000 men. The Tanaka detachment would land at Apari, and the Kano detachment would make for Vigan. As the sun rose on December 10th, the men of Tanaka closed in on Apari, but the weather was making the waves too rough. After only two companies were landed, the rest of the detachment was taken another 20 miles to the east before they were unloaded. Either way, the Tanaka, in its entirety, was given no trouble by MacArthur's troops, and with his air arm all but shattered, the general had to know, his staff certainly did, that if the enemy made successful landings, it was all over, being just a matter of when. The main reason for this was, if the enemy took Apari and its connected airfield, Japanese air units could operate from there, from northern Luzon. And sure enough, the next day, some 36 KI-27 Nate fighters landed at Apari. To be sure, Brereton was allowed to send up some of his remaining fighters to try to stop the enemy from landing in the north, but it was too little, too late. MacArthur made much of what damage was done to the enemy as they landed their troops. A minesweeper was put out of commission, a destroyer and a light cruiser were damaged, but to hear the general tell it to Washington, the enemy was losing many invading troops to the depths of the Luzon Strait, between Luzon and Formosa, which was not the case. At Vigan, the American-Filipino air assault notched up a few more successes, but the Japanese objective was still achieved. As the Kano detachment came close to shore, a P-40 reconnaissance flight spotted the approaching transports and called it in at 5.13 a.m. December 10th. In response, Brereton sent up B-17s and P-40s to attempt to stymie the disembarkation. Like the attempt of the Tanaka detachment, the Kano troops started coming ashore, but then the remainder were ordered to stop. This time it was not the rough seeds, but the Allied response. Still, enough men landed to threaten Vegan. By the time the Japanese called off any further landings there, for that day, American air power had sunk one minesweeper and forced two transports to beach. Specifically 1st Lieutenant Samuel H. Merritt of the 34th Pursuit Squadron in his P-35A fighter dove down at the Japanese minesweeper W-10 that morning. He did not inflict serious damage, but on the other hand, he himself was left unharmed, which allowed him to make another pass. This scenario actually played itself out over and over again. He would strafe the minesweeper, but it would be none the worse for wear. Clearly, he needed to go lower, get closer, to increase his accuracy. Which is what he did on his last pass. Finally, hitting a vulnerable spot, the W-10 exploded. Witnesses said it was an impressive blast. But the problem was, Merritt was right over the ship when it happened. The blast ripped off one of the P-35's wings, forcing the plane to make straight for the water below. Merritt was killed. But it should be noted, before he took on the W-10, he had already, that morning, damaged the transport vessel Oigawa Maru and the passenger cargo ship Takao Maru. The latter was forced to beach to save itself. But within days, the ship was attacked by Filipino guerrillas, to the point the Japanese declared her unsalvageable. However, not giving too much credit to the Americans, the Kano Detachment was back the next day, December 11th. The weather was making things rough, so the transports were sent about four miles further south. Here, with calmer waves, the disembarkation took place, and now on dry land, the men moved north. They took Vigan and then went further north to take Laoga, as it had an airfield. By this point, the entire North Luzon coastline was in Japanese hands. Now, General Homa had no intention of landing all of his troops in North Luzon and fighting his way to the other end of the island. He only had 50 days. Besides, to allow the American Filipino forces that much time and freedom in southern Luzon was asking for trouble. As we have seen, the light carrier Rujo was sent from the Palau Islands, about 500 miles east of Mindanao, to launch an air attack at the Davo Field on Mindanao. This went off as planned, yet the Allies had no planes there at the time. But coming up right behind the Rujo was the 16th Division about 2,500 men, under the command of Major General Naoki Kimura, and his invasion force was being sent to take Legaspi in southeastern Luzon. Now, this particular force's plan could have come unraveled, as an American sub had spotted the 16th Division coming from Pala. But again, MacArthur did not have enough planes, ships, or infantry to stop them. As things turned out, this Kimura detachment landed on December 12th, met no resistance, and easily took Legazpi and its airfield and a major rail line junction. MacArthur's self-styled aggressive defense plan was simply not getting the job done, and now there were enemy troops on both ends of Luzon, with the enemy controlling the skies. Hey everyone, Ray here. I've been using Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. And like many of you, I think about my golden years, and I hope they're golden. I have a Roth IRA with Fidelity and another with Merrill, and I have consolidated them into one hub with Yahoo Finance. There, I have access to expert analysis to help me stay atop this ever-changing world. And with Yahoo Finance at my fingertips, I can focus on my goals of paying off my house, In getting ready for, you know, me time. And since Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, they know what they're doing. It's the number one finance destination, with their independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. So, for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com, that's yahoofinance.com. As for the Battle of the Skies above Luzon, that had been determined on the first day. As it was, Brereton did not have enough fighters to clear the skies of enemy planes, nor enough bombers to undo recent Japanese conquests. With his remaining B-17s stationed at Del Monte in northern Mindanao, it was only a matter of time before the enemy discovered their location, and then these remaining bombers would be destroyed. With this one airbase serving Brereton's needs, the crews there were quickly exhausted and stretched thin. Something had to change. And that change would come in the form of a bomber retreat. The air commander asked, and was given permission, to remove his remaining B-17s from Del Monte to Bachelor Field, just south of Darwin in Australia. By December 17th, the operational B-17s made the 1,500-mile journey practically due south. Also sent to Australia, per Washington, were Admiral Hart's remaining submarines. Besides the lackluster performance of the Americans' torpedoes to date, many in the Navy saw the subs as scouting vessels more than attackers. Hence, that element was taken from MacArthur as well. Left behind at Del Monte were three B-18 medium bombers. But on December 19th, four Zero fighters flew in from Legazpi and wrecked them while parked on the ground. It was looking bad for the continued defense of MacArthur's command, made worse now that Brereton's pilots had to fly 1,500 miles just to have a chance at targeting any enemy position. And that distance only grew if they wanted to hit something in Luzon. As for the Navy's remaining 10 PBYs, they were sent to Borneo. But as we have already seen, that island fell to the invaders as well. This left Brereton with few P 40s, but the lone base at Del Monte, with its ever shrinking spare parts and fuel, was limiting even this offensive weapon. Putting aside the mistakes made thus far by the Americans, there was still a chance of delaying another Japanese victory here in the Philippines. What was needed was more of basically everything, and that everything was en route. To Manila. To be sure, MacArthur was still complaining about Brereton and the inactivity of the Asiatic Fleet. It didn't matter that Admiral Stark himself, the Chief of Naval Operations, had ordered the Asiatic Fleet south, as the enemy now controlled the skies. MacArthur still sent along his frustrations. As for their reinforcements, back on November 29th, there were seven. Supply ships at Pearl, destined for Manila. Protected by the heavy cruiser Pensacola, the vessels carried a field artillery brigade of 20 75mm guns, another 18 P-40 fighters, 52 A-24 dive bombers, 500,000 rounds of 50 caliber armor-piercing ammunition, and desperately needed another 4,600 men of which half of them were to man the artillery brigade. But that was on November 29th. After the attack at Pearl, with the supply convoy back en route to Manila, the Joint Army and Navy Board met on December 10th, still shaken by the surprise attack. Giving into logic more than fear, General Marshall agreed that the supplies should turn around and make for Pearl to help beef up defenses there. But before too long, Marshall rethought this abandoning of MacArthur and got the decision to turn around reversed with the help of FDR. But as the situation in Manila was far from acceptable and getting worse each day, the supply ships were then ordered to make for Brisbane, Australia, on the East Coast. Once there, a way was to be found to get them safely to MacArthur, if possible. But fear, very real fear, ran right over the next move. One, the Navy was justifiably unnerved by having their capital ships decimated at Pearl. And two, the British had already shown what could happen if the Americans charged west with their remaining naval forces, as the Repulse and Prince of Wales were sunk on December 10th by enemy air power alone. General Marshall, who was not afraid of anyone, even FDR, as he had froze the President with a look for once calling him George early in their relationship, was not looking forward to telling MacArthur that his reinforcements were going to Brisbane. The justifications were beside the point. Marshall needed some good news for Manila, but he also needed someone who knew MacArthur, and that man was Brigadier General Dwight Eisenhower, who had worked for THE general in the Philippines, no less. Having just arrived in Washington after Pearl, Ike was soon sitting in front of Marshall. The Chief of Staff of the U.S. Army asked Dwight for an assessment of the Philippine situation. Taking a few hours, the junior-ranked man replied, "...it will be a long time before major reinforcements can go to the Philippines." Longer than the garrison can hold out, but we must do everything for them that is humanly possible. Certainly, the people of China, the Philippines, and the Netherlands will be watching to see what Washington does. Ike ended with, They may excuse failure, but they will not excuse abandonment. Marshall said he agreed with this, and to Ike's perception, he felt like he had just passed a test that Marshall had felt the same way. Marshall ended the conversation with, do your best to save them. Easier said than done. As we have seen, there were Japanese troops in northern and southern Luzon, and they controlled the air. Ike was dedicated and highly motivated, but no miracle worker. And as this American was thinking about reinforcing MacArthur, the Imperial Japanese Army was already thinking of its Next Steps Beyond the Philippines To control the air over the southern Philippines was to make sure that no reinforcements would be getting to the weakening Americans. Further, Borneo to the west was cut off from help as well. Each Japanese victory extended their operational range and, at the very least, their ability to harass ships and planes. Southeast Asia was quickly becoming a Japanese dominion. It has to be said that MacArthur, for all of his faults, and these would lessen over the next few years, he knew his geography. The landings to the far north of Luzon were a concern, to be sure, but he was guessing they were not the main landings, and he would be proven correct. For General Homa planned on a larger landing at Lingayen Gulf in northwestern Luzon much closer to Manila. There was still time to put some kind of defense together. MacArthur just needed more supplies and men. He just had to hold out a little longer. To be sure, Brereton was still launching offensive bombing and strafing missions. It's just that each time a plane was damaged, that was it, as there were no spare parts left for bombers or fighters. As Brereton put it, During the third week of December, our Air Force was gradually fading away. With the defense of the Philippines not going well, but with the big battle yet to take place, the disintegration of MacArthur's command had advanced far enough for some of the major players to leave the stage. During mid-December, the General told Brereton it was time for him to head south along with his B-17s, but to keep the fight going. For all the tension between them, MacArthur was gracious in his departing words to the air commander. Later in his writings, he would be less kind. There would also be farewells between MacArthur and Admiral Thomas Hart in the new year, but their adieux were far less professional. On December 18th, MacArthur had been told of the convoy, his convoy, having been redirected to Brisbane. So he went to Hart to see if it was possible to get those ships any closer to Luzon. Hart had his charts out to explain why this was not possible, but the general ignored these and went into a diatribe. This was a common occurrence, where he moaned that he was the only one serious about victory or even standing up to the Japanese. This vent was also for Washington, as the Navy brass back in the capital would not risk their carriers by coming too far west to drop off fighters for the Philippines. MacArthur was the victim here. No one wanted to help him. To this, Hart just sat there and let the words wash over him. No surprise, this would be the last conversation between the general and Admiral Hart. Meanwhile, having achieved his string of successes so early on, it was now time for General Homa to squeeze the defenders and wrap up this war for the Philippines. The Imperial General Headquarters was already looking to invade Borneo. The last thing they needed was some drawn-out resistance by the American Filipino troops, which may allow... Help to come from Hawaii, or even the American West Coast. Indeed, the reasons for the Japanese to target the island of Mindanao, and specifically the southern port city of Davao, were numerous. The American naval base there, the desire to further blockade the American forces on Luzon, to make sure no reinforcements came from the south, to help with the coming invasion of Borneo, to help take nearby Jolo Island, and to give the 16th Division its own base of operations. And whose responsibility was it to stop all this from taking place? By keeping Mindanao safe? The 2,000 men of the Philippine Commonwealth Army's 101st Infantry Regiment. But again, the truth was, these men, under Lieutenant Colonel Roger B. Hillsman, lacked training, lacked experience, and lacked equipment. It was important for Davo to fall quickly, as before the war, the city was a haven for Japanese economic activity. To end the fighting there without too much bloodshed, it was hoped, would keep the locals from harassing the Japanese community. So, coming at Davo and Mindanao in general, would be the overwhelming 5,000-man force of Major General Shizuo Sakaguchi of the 56th Division. His force would be split into two detachments, the Minura Detachment under Lieutenant Colonel Minura and the Sakaguchi Detachment led by the man himself. And to help make this island invasion a no-contest, Sakaguchi brought along armor, and an artillery battalion. For after this, his men would be heading to Jolo Island and the Netherlands Indies. Leaving the Palau Islands on December 17th, the convoy under Admiral Rezo Tanaka included five transports, a light cruiser, six destroyers, the carrier Rujo, and the light carrier Chitos. Further out, acting as a shield, were three more, carriers. By midnight of December 19th, the transport ships were in place for disembarkation. At 4 a.m., the Meura Detachment landed on the north coast, near Del Monte Airfield, while the Sakaguchi Detachment landed on the south coast, to the southwest of Davao. These two installations were their first objectives. However, a Filipino machine gun squad opened up on the northern troops, killing several and wounding even more. Mu'ura called in to a destroyer to send in shells. Soon, the machine gun was silenced. Meanwhile, in the south, Colonel Hillsman, equally outnumbered and outgunned, pulled his men out of Davo around 10.30 that morning. They headed for the hills to the northwest. Hence, by that afternoon, the airport and major port city were in Japanese hands. Of course, the rest of Mindanao had to be cleared of Filipino troops, and that would go on until May, but the contest for the island was over on day one. Now, the Japanese could project power to the south, to the west, and to the north, as Zeros could fly from Del Monte to attack southern Luzon. The noose was tightening around MacArthur's neck while he waited on reinforcements that looked less likely each day to be coming. The next day, December 20th, Sakaguchi reorganized his men and loaded some of them onto nine transports to head for Jolo Island, again in between Mindanao and Borneo. But that's when nine B-17s came in from Darwin. But... Keeping up with the theme of bad luck, piled on top of bad timing, there were clouds overhead, which meant little damage was done to this convoy. Three days later, this smaller convoy left Mindanao and on December 24th reached Jolo Island. Waiting for them were 300 policemen of the Philippine Constabulary. On Christmas Day, the Japanese came ashore and met no resistance. As things stood, by the third week of December, MacArthur's defense forces were trapped on Luzon. No help was coming, though there was much talk of it, mostly from MacArthur, and the enemy controlled the skies and seas in all directions. All that was needed next was the hammer blow of General Homa's main invasion force, and that was scheduled to make landfall on December 22nd. This would force MacArthur to put his abilities to the test. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So, if all things work out, this will go out before the new year. I just want to say hi to some members and those who donated and say hello to some other people, and um, we'll be all done. So, as far as saying hello and welcome aboard to the latest members, um, I've got Gary Rothman, James Watt, Luke Peterson, Andrew Gustavich, uh, Tay Jensen, sorry Jensen if I'm saying your name wrong, Gary Gomez, John Taylor, Jeff Shatterman, Giles Upham, Steve Whitby, Kyle Moyles, Aiden Morrison, and John Adams. As far as those who have donated recently, um, Jose Mata, Ron Wakefield, and yes, Ron, I did get your message about this money being used exclusively for alcohol, whiskey specifically, because I have teenage daughters. Uh, Benjamin Weaver, Karen Perkins, Craig Miller, Stephanie Brock, Richard Fulton, Ira Fair, Carl Baraka, Ben Frost and his children who listen to the show, Mark Sato, John Ducharme, and thank you, John, for that story of Shorty, the ball turret gunner, um, Vicky Morgan, and Remy Billy and i would just like to say hello because i can to sit hath bat bob hersey Um, Gene Stuve from Kansas. His dad served on a minesweeper in the Pacific, so thank you for uh, letting me know about that. Uh, And for a certain young lady who bought a mug, she lives in a certain state. For her dad, who listens to the show, and I will uh, say hi to him after Christmas because I don't want to ruin the surprise. So, uh, young lady and your father, uh, I'll be getting back to you uh, in the new year, so stay tuned for the details for that. So, again, this is probably my last episode for the year. unless my family drives me crazy like they did on this episode and I just ran away and did research. But anyway, hope you all have a wonderful and safe holiday and Christmas and New Year's and I'll see you soon and hopefully 2021 will be a hell of a lot better than 2020. Take care, everyone.